say good day and thank you so much for joining us today on a frank conversation i'm joined by two awesome men right here in the bay area to discuss some uh awesome developments if you will i'm i'm joined by rajendra ramoon maharaj just got a huge promotion and we're going to talk about that and we're also going to speak with patrick a jackson associate assistant producer Rajendra, uh, you want to you want to update folks on on your your promotion there that you got going. Don't be humble about it. Well, first of all, it's great to be with you. Um, I have become the first BIPOC artistic director in the forty four, almost forty five years of American stage, and blessed to be the first in the state to run a multi million dollar regional theater. So very humbled, very excited to be here. Um, and very excited about the future. I'm excited for you all uh, for various reasons as we were jumping in the conversation prior to the podcast officially getting started with our podcast discussion. Um, but the one thing I want to throw out there, gentlemen, uh, Patrick and Rajendra, it's 2021 and we're almost finished with the year. And when you threw your title out there, I wanted you to say it, right? Because you added along to that the first. It's almost 2022 and we're still saying the first. Does that still grab you as a shocker? And, I, and I'll ask you first, Rajendra. Absolutely, because I feel like um, there clearly there were other people who were more qualified than I was, but for whatever the reasons, we're not able to have the opportunity. So I stand on their shoulders and I take that responsibility very seriously. But here's the thing that gives me hope. I know that there are little Regendras and little Patricks and little Franks who will now see it as possible to have this position because I was here. And so, you know, we stand very tall and our spines stand tall as black men because we know that we don't do it just for us. We do it for generations yet unborn. And that's where I, I, I live in that space. We make it tangible, right, Patrick? Regendra says they can see themselves in us. Absolutely. It's it's shifting the mindset of crabs in a barrel and, and pulling people up, um, not pushing them down or holding them down. So I'm all about being a, re a representative um, through my education work in the community and now as an associate artistic producer uh, here at a, at a very prominent regional theater in the area to just represent what the possibilities are for, like Regender said, little Patrick's in the, in the community. In short, Patrick, you're proud. Absolutely. I mean, this is, I, I've talked to Rajendra and I said, because you are here, it allows me to see myself in you and uh, to kind of set an example. So if he's doing that for me, imagine what I'm doing for other people who may not even, I may not even get to meet directly or speak to. Thank you, brother. That's, that's so great. I, I love when black men uplift each other, especially in the theater. It's so necessary. So thank you, brother. Absolutely. Oh, that is amazing. We do need to do more of that. Uh, you know, to show that we have different facets to our personality. Uh, and that was a whole other podcast that I had that conversation with someone uh, regarding the fact that we we can't mute those those facets of who we are because we, we are not sociopathic. We don't have to hide the fact that we have emotions. So when I say producing artistic director and playwright, mm -hmm. that's a title, Rajendra, but Tell me the task behind that and the gift behind that. Well, thank you. The gift comes from my grandmother who put the collective works of 
Paul Robeson and works of Langston Hughes and Dr. Maya Angelou in my hands as a young age, who took me to the theater and encouraged me to dream without a ceiling. And so as the producing artistic director, my job is to run the entire organization uh, from top to bottom to plan out the season, to engage the staff, to hire new artists, to raise the national profile as well as the local profile, to tell stories that are rooted in the power of the human spirit. I walk into a building every day called American Stage, and I want our theater to reflect the rich diversity and inclusion of America. And so much of that in St. Pete's um, is from people of color. And so I'm just very excited to be able to, in this moment, as you opened up with Frank and saying that it is about, it's time. It's time that we really embrace our strength, which is our diversity. There's no other country in the world like America that has the history and the diversity that makes up our, our country. And I want our theater to reflect that. You mentioned Maya Angelou. So when you know better, you do better, right? Amen. And as she said so brilliantly, we are more alike than different. Patrick, that was your cue to shout amen too. <laughs> I, no, I don't want to get too I don't want to get too crazy up in here because I can I can start to shout and hollering. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> won't he do it? What are your thoughts about the fact that we have so much diversity right there at arm's reach, Patrick, but we don't really tap into all of it? We miss out on so much, don't we? I think specifically in our Tampa Bay community, we have an opportunity now returning to physical activity to do more collaborative partnerships across organizations. Um, a lot of our arts community, our nonprofit community have operated in silos. So this is the perfect time to, uh, for lack of a better word, integrate those organizations um, and just connect, um, use each other's resources and continue to create a world that is inclusive um, and equitable for all types of people. We say BIPOC, right? And we mentioned that moments ago and some people might say, okay, that sounds like an acronym. Uh, maybe that is something that is uh, specific language to uh, the arts, but no, right? I mean, what does that mean? So the people can know once we throw that phrase, that term out there again, they say, oh, oh okay, BIPOC. In fact, they incorporate it into their daily speak. What is BIPOC? Go ahead, Patrick, you can take this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so BIPOC uh, is an acronym, like you mentioned. It uh, stands for Black, Indigenous, Persons, or People of Color. And the specific thing that if I could ask for anyone to take from this about this definition is that it is not excluding anyone that does not identify as that. But by, by identifying those people, we then are including everyone. Um, and so I think as we continue to kind of go on the social justice justice movement, um, it's not excluding anyone. We are working to do the work to include everyone. I yeah, and Patrick, and Patrick, I will just piggyback by saying that I think that at the heart, it's always, there's always been BIPOC people. It just took uh, a movement, the great second civil rights movement in, my, in our country, which I call the Black Lives Matter movement, to awaken people to realize that we've always been there. And now it's not just a black and white conversation, it's South Asian, it's indigenous, it's LGBTQ, and so many who are coming together and saying no more. And so this is a real, a real um, reckoning moment in the American theater and a real um, uh, awakening as well. When you add color, there's so much texture, right? Mm. And that improves storytelling. It makes it more palatable. It makes it more relatable. Storytelling changes the world. I mean, we can go back just to the book of Genesis, right? 
Mm. on yeah. to Revelation. So tell me about the power of storytelling and how you all are using that as a vehicle to make a point and to teach people. Well, I'll tell you it, um, that even before the Bible, the first black woman in Africa who held up a medicine stick, that was the birth of theater. You know, it wasn't with the Greeks. It wasn't with Shakespeare. It started in the motherland. And so to be able to embrace stories that remind us of the power of the human spirit, the power to overcome, um, it's, it's a choice to come to the theater. And I want people to come to American stage who come to be awakened, but also I want people who may not see it as an opportunity for them. You know, I grew up in a time where church was a privilege. It was for good white folks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, thank God my mother said, no, this is, this is for you too. And introduced me to, you know, great playwrights and great actors like Lorraine Hansberry, like James Baldwin, like Lloyd Richards and Sidney Poitier and all these great artists whose shoulders we all stand upon. So I want people, no matter where, where their lot in life is, to see American stage as their home. And even if they, they can't afford a ticket, we will provide tickets to people to come see the theater and be exposed. Because what we know for sure is that the next Angela Bassett, who's from St. Pete's, is sitting in a classroom, who's hanging out in the corner and just needs the opportunity. How can people get a hold of those tickets? Because I know they may be saying, wait, wait a minute now, I can come check this out because this opportunity has never been afforded to me. Patrick, do you want to tell them a little bit of some of our programs? Yes. Yeah, so anyone under the age of 20 can see any of our main stage shows for absolutely free. Uh, they can call uh, over the phone to our box office or um, if they're in the area and they want to just come down to the box office physically to pick that ticket up. We also are working to expand our community engagement um, and are looking to shift to partner with local organizations and say, hey, we're doing this production of The Odd Couple. Here are 10 tickets. Um, please let us know if you need more. Here's your 10 tickets for your organization. And really removing uh, the idea that theater is for a certain type of person and really taking the storytelling out beyond the four walls of our organization. That's yeah, what I needed to hear growing up because I, I dabbled in theater and then I didn't. And I felt a little <laughs> lonesome <laughs> because I didn't see anybody who looked like me in that circle. And um, for the short time I did it, I did well. But again, it got a little lonesome there. So what you all are doing is truly amazing. Thank you. And, you know, we also, Patrick, maybe we can share a little bit about our connection this year. It was really important when I came on board and started my tenure that we were able to connect with uh, community groups and non-for-profits and every production, we're going to be partnering with a non-for-profit and raising funds for them because we are before a national treasure. We're a local theater and we're artists and activists and we have a responsibility to take care of our own. Patrick, do you want to tell them a little bit about our first endeavor? Yes, yeah, so we have launched a new program called Partners with a Cause. Um, and as Rajendra said, this is uh, a program that is new this season. So each production will have a select nonprofit organization or a community organization where um, our missions align or we desire to support. And so our first partner for the Odd Couple is Men and Women in the Making. Uh, it is a St. Petersburg-based uh, nonprofit organization that primarily focuses on uh, men and women in the making, cultivating them, providing opportunities for tutoring, mentorship, um, and after school support. Uh, and that is headed by Reverend Kenny Irby. He is the pastor of the historic Bethel AME, 
uh, church in South St. Petersburg, and he does um, a tremendous amount of work in the community, and we have partnered with that organization in the past, so we desire to fully support them this year and allow the community to uh, shine a spotlight on what the work is that they're doing. And I, love their, and I love their motto. Listen to this motto, Frank. From the cradle to right. college. From the cradle to college. Yeah. And so we include college in there because it's understood that we are going to pursue some semblance of higher learning. And when, when kids hear that, they have some expectations that are set before them. And that gives them something to strive for, right? Hallelujah. I mean, we are all here because of the power of education, because of all of our ancestors who marched and bled and died for public education. I have, a, as you know, a, a deep, deep connection with the Little Rock Nine and how as 16, 15 and 14 year olds, they changed the trajectory of America and every person who sits in a classroom with a white or black or Asian or indigenous person, it's because of the Little Rock Nine. Wait a minute, Rajendra, because there are some people out there who didn't receive that form of education in terms of what happened in Little Rock. So could you give us a, 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 a synopsis of what you're talking about, the abbreviated version? Absolutely. I'll give you the elevator pitch. In 1957, uh, after Brown versus the Board of Ed, uh, in Little Rock Central High School, uh, they used it as a testing ground, the NAACP, under the leadership of Daisy Bates and Thurgood Marshall and Dr. King, to integrate. Um, the Little Rock Nine, nine students, uh, three, three boys and six girls integrated, and they went through literally hell every day from the governor to the segregationists, to the Klan, to just everyday folks. Uh, they endured unbelievable physical, mental torture. And all of it was just to be able to follow the law and go to school. So that's when I see young folks today, particularly brown and black kids, hanging out, skipping school. I'm like, do you know the cost? Do you know what folks went through for right. you? And, um, and at the end of the year, Ernest Green, first black man, graduated and symbolically open the door to integration across the South in public education. Now, that's something that people need to know and know well. I see that mug over your shoulder there, Patrick. Um, and as we're talking about stories, I uh, clearly am involved in storytelling just from a different vantage point. There are many people out there who have tapped me on the shoulder and said, Frank, it's not all about race. And some people may find offense in the fact that we even have a conversation, but the fact we're talking about theater here, right? It shows that this, this issue, if you will, splinters many different directions. You just mentioned education. Uh, you all are talking about opportunities being afforded to youth. Uh, again, we circle back to education from the cradle to the university. So can, what do you say to those individuals? And I'll start with you, Rajendra, when people say it's not all about race and they're more offended by the charge of racism than they are by the actual act of racism, because you can reach their hearts through storytelling. Absolutely. But I, we have to acknowledge uh, that we live in a country that was built on oppression that was built on taking lands from indigenous people and enslaving people for 400 years. I heard uh, Dr. Brother Cornell West say this, it's like if you're in a race and black people had literally iron anchors that you know would be used on ships like Titanic for 400 years around our ankles and we were racing against white America. 
that is what the reality of slavery, not to mention all the physical and mental pain. So yeah, we it, it is there is a certain degree of reparations that I believe have to happen. And artistically right now, we're in a place where that those reparations are awakening people and, and people are of all walks of life. Race should never be a scary thing. Race should be embraced and celebrated. We're, we live in a country that was built and now I think what's happening is now we want the acknowledgement in the performing arts. We want the acknowledgement in leadership. I can't tell you, I'm currently at Yale University as part of the this leadership cohort of 50 leaders of not-for-profits who run multi-million dollar theaters, dance, museum, uh, theater. And every every meeting we talk about just how, you know, it is weird viewed as people who are talking about race. We're talking about America. We're talking yes. about dreams. We're talking about children and dreams realized and dreams deferred. And so more than ever, this is our time. This is our opportunity. And you cannot say you're an American and not embrace diversity, not embrace inclusion, because some person of color on their back, you stand. So I, I, I'm at a place right now in my life where I'm like, I embrace that. I celebrate it. I uplift it. And I want young people, you know, I, I told this story the other day. I, I had time in my life uh, with the great Chad Bozeman. Bozeman and, and Chad was just an amazing human being. I'll never forget the story. When Chad had had the heights of Black Panther, we had a conversation and, and Chad said to me, he's like, you know, Regender, you know how I know I've, I've, I've touched the consciousness of America? And I said, how, Chad? And he said, because there are white kids in Nebraska and, and Iowa who are wearing my costume for Halloween. Wow. Who are wearing a Black Panther costume for Halloween. And I just thought to myself, wow, Chad, in our life, we saw that. Well, hey, I went out and was hoping I could find Wakanda somewhere. <laughs> it lives in all of us, it lives in all of us. I bought the t-shirts, I got a couple hats. Um, and what do you make of that, Patrick? Because we must talk about what has happened and we must not stop talking about what has happened because context matters. We can't tell a story without proper context. Absolutely. You know, when I think about the 300 years of, of, of challenges that, you know, my ancestors, our ancestors have experienced, I think about Dr. Maya Angelou and, and my favorite quote of hers that says, uh, you, must not, you must not be bitter. Um, you should be angry. You must not be bitter. Bitterness is like a cancer. It does nothing to the host or the object of this displeasure, but eat upon it. So you use that anger, you write it, you march it, you dance it, you vote it, you speak it, you talk it, never stop talking it. And that, that always is playing in my head to never stop talking it. The more we have the conversation, the less that this idea of racism and the oppression uh, seems taboo. And the more we can actively change it, heal the wound. It's a 400 plus long year wound. We have to talk about it and do research just like a medical professional would do research on cancer or any other um, sickness to heal it. We have to do the work to heal it. So if we shut up, it's not gonna get healed. And that's, this, that's why it's so important, right, Patrick, these first, you having being the first person of color to have this position on American stage myself, what's happened at the Met you know, with with fire, shut up in my bones and the history of that. It's really important for us to acknowledge because like we look to Malcolm X and we look to Dr. King and we look to Lloyd Richards, the first black man to direct on Broadway or Lorraine Hansberry, the first black woman to have a show on Broadway with Raisin in the Sun. And they were our role models. And now we're gonna be a role model for a generation of folks. 
And I just think it's like, you know, like, like a chain, like a pebble on the pond. If you send out that positivity and that light and your attentions are pure, it will spread. You know, have you ever felt like you were running in place? Did you ever wonder if you were going to get to your destination? And I'll start with you, Rajendra, because you've obviously been goal oriented, but sometimes you arrive at a certain point in life and you didn't expect this to be one of the stops. Mm. Did you see this being that? This being the American stage theater? Absolutely not. I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea I would end up in Florida. I, you know, I just like I said, been part of the the historic creative team of Fire Show Up in My Bones, the first black opera in the history, 135 years at the world premiere Metropolitan Opera House. And I was supposed to go on tour for two years and travel the world and and do the tour. And uh, my agent said, you know, there's this opportunity in American stage. And when I came down here and the purity of the board, the the beauty of the city, meeting so many wonderful humans who love the theater, I thought, okay, well, there's an opportunity. And I came from the Bahamas. I came from very humble beginnings. And so if I could plant any seeds for future agendas and Franks and Patricks, then I felt like I was doing the work of my favorite president, as Barack Obama says, the work of angels. Um, And so I just wanted to be part of that. And I know that God can dream a bigger dream for your life. So Mm -hmm. it's funny because I'm exactly where I need to be. I know what I know for sure as we have opening night of the odd couple tonight, I'm exactly where I need to be. That's amazing. And Patrick, you've had the audacity, the audacity to dream as well. Did you ever see this point in your life happening? I, I can say the same words as Regendra, absolutely not. Uh, you know, we we had conversations and my thought was like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, become an education director somewhere at a theater. Um, but because of, of his presence here, it expanded my vision. I'm in the right place at the right time, and I'm open and receptive to whatever the divine has to give me. What do you hope for next, Patrick? My hope, my hope is that we continue to listen, uh, to understand, and then speak to be understood, um, because they are are uh, the other majority, uh, or the people that think they are the majority, um, really need to take time to listen. And uh, to all the voices, not just the Black, but that whole BIPOC acronym, including the LGBT community, and, and hear what they need, what they desire, and how we can come together. Rajendra, what do we need? I think that's how we can we can bring this home. What do we need? Well, I think that, um, you know, we need to use the power of love as our guiding force. We need to use the power of the theater. You know, I always say that every day in the United States of America, we achieve in the theater pure democracy. And it is not because you sit in the front row and pay the $1,000 seat to see Hamilton, or if you were like me, standing in the back in the cheap seats of life for 20 bucks. When the lights go down and it's absolutely dark and the lights come up, that is pure equality because it doesn't matter how much you paid for your ticket, you're about to go on the journey together. And I think we need to be reminded that we are on this journey together through the power of education and that you did not do it alone. I know that, you know, a lot of people, Dr. King often said, a lot of people confuse celebrity with service, but there is a price 
and you are a part of that price, and you are, as, as James Baldwin say, your crown has been bought and paid for. We need to pick it up, particularly black and brown people, to know we gave the world civilization. We are descendants of kings and queens who gave the world civility. And so the more we can uplift those stories and uplift this generation now and remind them who they are, I think we're doing the work of, of the angels. Let's see, I'm going to just mess this moment all the way up. You talk about the expensive seats for $1,000 and you had the cheap seats for 20 bucks in the back. I'm even cheaper. I might have said, Rajendra, can you FaceTime me? And then I'll, I'll, I'll just watch from your phone. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, Patrick A. Jackson and Rajendra Ramun Maharaj, gentlemen, congrats on your success. And thank you for your unyielding, unapologetic audacity. Thank you. Thank you, King. Thank we appreciate you. it. We look forward to seeing you at the theater. Yes, I'm, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. I promise you that. And thank you all for listening. Until next time, have a good one.